0: Hello, this is the last week of March 2020, and I'd like to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, healthcare providers, and even the staff to help clean the facilities. These are the people on the front lines of this coronavirus, and today's episode is dedicated to you. Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Bosch stared at him for a moment. It might have been just a figure of speech. It could have just meant that he had saved you from the scandal of knowing her by taking steps to keep you out of it. That's not evidence that he killed her or had her killed. You were a prosecutor. You know that's not enough. That wasn't direct evidence of anything. Didn't you ever directly confront him? No, never. I was too intimidated by him. Gordon was becoming a powerful man, more powerful than I. So I said nothing to him. I simply dismantled my campaign and folded my tent. I left public life and haven't spoken to Gord Mattel since that time, more than 25 years. You went into private practice? Yes. I took a pro bono work as my self-imposed penance for what I was responsible for. I wish I could say that it helped suture the wounds of my soul, but it didn't. I'm a helpless man, Hieronymus. So tell me, did you come here to kill me? Hello and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while there, please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thembluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you will find more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit's out the way? It's time to get back to work and probe into chapters 38 through 41 of The Last Coyote. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explored how balance is found in one who faces his guilt, shaped chapters 34 through 37 of The Last Coyote. And today, we will continue our deep dive into chapters 38 through 41. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. It's time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Responding to the address of Monty Kim, the writer who wrote the article concerning Fox, Bosch learns that Kim wrote the article of Fox's death but knowing the illegal activity in his past in order to obtain a job with Conklin. Kim had a photo of Conklin, Fox, and two other women, Meredith Roman and Bosch's mother, Marjorie Lowe, and used them to blackmail Conklin. Believing that he had enough information to confront Conklin, Bosch visits him in his nursing home. During that conversation, Bosch discovers that Conklin was actually in love with his mother. Conklin advises Bosch that on the day that she was murdered, they had decided to go to Las Vegas and get married. Conklin also advises Bosch that he called Mattel and asked him to go with them and be his best man, but Mattel declined and told Conklin that if he married Margie Lowe, it would ruin his career. Conklin further reveals that he suspected Mattel as having something to do with Marjorie's death, based on a comment Mattel stated years later. As Bosch was leaving Conklin's, he was attacked and knocked out, where he dreamed of a coyote and a feeling of loneliness. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's live up the yellow tape and examine the clues for the defining theme for chapters 38 through 41 of the last coyote years. Before we can see properly, we first must shed our tears to clear the way. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. And you know, we start this episode off, well, before I go into the episode, I've been saying since I started breaking down this book, that so far, The Last Coyote is very underrated when it comes to the importance and the backstory of Harry Bosch. And the last couple of episodes, the last couple of chapters, excuse me, um, we started with chapter 33, and now we're up to uh, 41. But these chapters really get at the heart, or get to the heart, excuse me, of who Harry Bosch is and what makes him tick. And these chapters are brilliant because Michael Connolly just says so much in these chapters. Then you say, aha, you get so many aha moments when it comes to Harry and the way he interacts and does things. So as Harry said, uh, Monty uh, Kim lived into, lived in a neighborhood where they had these feel good gates and quote unquote feel good gates. And almost every neighborhood has these feel good gates where people put them up just to feel good about quote unquote keeping out the bad element. And I always said, you know, we of course you take preventive maintenance when you lock your car doors, you lock your home homes because you want to stop the average. Opportunist criminal, you know, from stealing uh, and stealing things from you. But what Michael Conley's getting in here or getting to here is is that these feel good gates are just that. Because I've always had the adage that a true criminal, if you want something, he's going to go after and get it. You know, what's the old adage? There's never been a lock that a good criminal can't break. Well, that's kind of what Michael Conley's getting at here. And I like how Michael Conley utilizes or shows you, the uh, reader, uh, the tactics, another tactics that uh, criminal investigators that we, that we use. And one of the things that Bosch did that was different was he said, well, Mr. Kim, let me ask you some questions before I tell you why I'm asking these questions. And again, it's really not too many times do you have a witness who doesn't really understand what's going on and while you are um, questioning them. And this is a very unique situation here because a lot of times, again, if I bring a witness in about a say a shooting, and I ask them what they saw, but they at the end at the beginning and the end, they understand why I'm asking them questions. And sometimes they tailor their answers based on the circumstances that's happening. Here, Michael is showing. Again, the reader, another tactic that law enforcement um, detectives utilize is when you go into a interview cold with an individual who doesn't really understand what's going on. What's really good is Bosch has a lot of backstory or a lot of background information on Kim and he could feed and or test Kim's veracity by what he says. And you can really test the veracity because Kim doesn't understand or know why Bosch is there. And again, this is another example of Michael Connelly pulling back the drapes for you, the reader, to get a uh, glimpse of a good investigative tool that we criminal investigators utilize. And I love, again, how Michael Connelly weaves in different attributes to different portions of, so far, three different, excuse me, four different books. And remember back in the Black Ice, excuse me, the Black Echo, we talked about law enforcement and their relationships with reporters. And as I told you back then, pretty much every good investigator had a reporter who you fed information to. And we see here that Kim had a really good source in LAPD from the book. Then a source in the cop shop told me that Johnny had been on Conklin's payroll. Though Fox didn't have a record, I don't think. There were intel files on him, and I had access to them. Now, I think whoever Monty Kim's informant was on the police department is a very reckless and dangerous informant because at no time would any police officer that I know would share intel, intel files with a reporter and, quote, unquote, I have access to them, again, you might drop a hint now and then about, hey, is a case going down, if you want to have the um, your news crew there when we take this case down, and things of that nature. Again, that's the, type, that's the type of relationship I'm talking about having with a particular reporter. But what Kim described here is someone deeper than that. And again, for me, that is uh, crossing a line. <laughs> you know, and I really like what Michael Conley always throws levity in at the most unexpected moment. So a quick backstory. Kim is hamming and about telling the story between his relationship with Conklin and Mattel and how he got the job as Gordon's press secretary. And as he begins to tell the story, he kind of stops a little bit and says, well, I think we're past any statute of limitations concerning what I, quote unquote, did. And, you know, Bosch responds by saying, don't worry about it. Just tell me, and only me, you and the dog will ever know about it. (laughs) You know, that's Michael Conley. And. What happens next is something I really appreciate what Michael Connolly did. You know, again, this podcast, I'm trying to give you an inside glimpse of what a police officer does, criminal investigator, what he's going through, what he's thinking, blah, blah, blah. I got to take away from this next passage what reporters feel from the book. Boss sees Kim up for a moment. He was weak. He didn't see being a reporter was a calling just as being a cop. You took an oath to yourself. Kim has seemingly had no difficulty breaking it. Bosch couldn't imagine someone like Keisha Russell acting in the same way under the same circumstances. Again, just to reiterate, now we see what a good reporter should be doing. And again, just like Michael Connolly's giving us, the reader, a glimpse here is that reporters take an oath to themselves. And again, Michael Connolly is showing you guys how we as criminal investigators, when you're interviewing someone, You always change up tactics. And what he did here by calling Kim a chiseler, (laughs) again, threw Kim off. And remember, this is the same tactics that Irving got on Bosch for not tolerating what Lieutenant Brockman was doing to him just moments ago. And I think a good common theme for The Last Coyote is what Bosch said about being a good investigator, about using a little bit of gal bluffing. And being sneaky. And we see him, again, bluffing Kim. And bullying Kim to get a copy of the photo that depicted Fox, Conklin, Marjorie Lowe, and um, Meredith Roman together from the book. Kim, don't bullshit me, okay? There was never a time you didn't need them. Those photos are probably why you're alive today. Now get them or I'll take you downtown for withholding evidence. And then I'll come back with a warrant. And tear this place apart. Now, Bosch never remember, Bosch is on a rogue investigation, flying off by himself, but he's bluffing and intimidating Kim to give him a photo. And it worked. And I think that's a good common theme for this uh, last coyote, is the bluffing gal and being sneaky. And it brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day comes from The Last Coyote, chapters 38 through 41. During Harry's confrontation with Conklin, Conklin advised that he anticipated the relationship with Marjorie Lowe would jeopardize any political ambitions. Question. Would you vote for a politician if that person's significant other had a quote-unquote checker pass? no it reflected on the politician's decision-making, or yes, just do your job. And as of the recording of this podcast, 69% of you said yes, you would vote for a politician whose significant others had a checker pass, while 31% of you said no. It reflects poorly on the individual's decision-making ability. Again, like I always say, thank you, thank you, thank you for those who participated in the poll I really appreciate you guys taking the time out, especially now. Again, my gosh, it's uh, such a crazy time here in the United States, and for you guys to take the time out to participate in the poll, I really do appreciate it. That being said, I'm going to have to fall in line with the 69% of the people who voted yes, just do your job. Now, the reason I say that is I really don't give a rat's ass if you're purple, Black, white, tall, female, whatever. If I elect you to do a job, do your fucking job. And, you know, the reason I say this, and I'm I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. I honestly think that making these politicians live these lies, you're just preparing them to lie to us. That's all they're going to do. I mean, these politicians show up in flannel shirts, and, you know, they get on a hay, and they give us these little... Die tribes about when they were growing up. Those are good anecdotes. And but you know, that really doesn't make a good politician. Just tell me the truth. Do your job. And I really think, based on that, us the voters will continue to vote you into office. But we're gonna have to let these politicians, just like cops, be human, make mistakes, as long as you own up to the mistakes and try to fix them, and trust us as your um, constituents, you will be rewarded. So I'm kicking the soapbox to the side, and I'm going to get back to uh, hitting the streets. And as we come out of the question of the day, we see Bosch arrives to the nursing home where Conklin is. And as he interacts with the guard there, we see Harry utilizing a little bit of bluffing and gal to get up to see Conklin, and we see Harry not being totally focused and in, in his right mind, his criminal investigator mind, because he's going on with pure instinct. And we see Harry taken aback by the, what he sees when he goes into Conklin's room. And again, as a criminal investigator, you must check all your emotions at the door because you have to expect the unexpected. You know going in, or at least I always thought, there's going to be a surprise. And if you think that way, when a surprise comes up, then you're more apt to being able to handle it. And we see Harry's not doing that when he sees Conklin in the state of his physical being. He was totally surprised and it showed on his face one of the things I want to be able to ask Michael Connolly, again, I have a list of things that I'm going to, you know, one day I'm going to be able to talk to a man or interview him. I know I'm going to do it. So, you know, think positive, right? But one of the things that he pays homage to is the book, The Neo Rain. And The Neo Rain is concerning a Louisiana detective investigating a prostitute's murder that no one else wants this detective to investigate. Does that sound kind of familiar? And what we say about coincidences, you guys, again, you know it. You're my audience. You've been listening for over a year and a half now. We don't like coincidences. You guys know it. So now I hope I'm planting an investigative seed in your mind. So if you guys get an opportunity to talk to Michael Conley, you can ask him, why did he put this particular passage in the book? I think it's kind of obvious. But we don't what? Again, something else you guys learn. We don't assume, right? So let's ask Michael Conley, and let's hopefully we can find out. Hieronymus Bosch, he whispered, like the painter. Bosch nodded slowly. He now realized that he was shocked as the old man. How do you know that? Because I know you. How? Through your mother. She told me about you and your special name. I loved your mother. It was like getting hit in the chest with a sandbag. Bosch felt the air go out of him and he put his hand down on the bed to hold himself steady. Michael Conley wrote, It was like getting hit in the chest with a sandbag. Actually, I thought someone like punched me in the gut. I mean, it was, you're talking about the breath coming out of you. When Conklin said that I loved your mother, well, I guess, yeah, Michael Conley did have a great analogy about getting hit in the chest with a sandbag because that change of pace, you know, okay, so I again, I assumed, I have to admit, I did assume he was going to go in there he was going to confront Conklin you killed my mama, you had something to do with my mama and ba-ba-ba and all this kind of stuff when the snake (laughs) Michael Connelly said that Conklin loved his mother you're talking about the change of pace in a book and you're like Whoa, I didn't see that coming. Again, how many times? Now, this is the freaking fourth fucking book. How many times have we said, I didn't see that coming? And again, this is the brilliance of Michael Kami, and this is why I'm doing this podcast. And I'm pretty sure this is why you guys are listening, because it feels so great to be so surprised. And I'm, I'm jaded. You know, I told you, I, I, I'm, looking for, I'm looking out for Michael Connolly because I told you he's a snake. <laughs> and so, and when I'm still looking out for the gotcha moment, I'm still surprised because he lull, lulls you in and then all of a sudden switches things up and you're like, oh shit, he did it again. You know, first he did it, you know, well, he did it multiple times in his book, but I think we all felt a gas when we found out that Harvey Pounds was killed. And then to find out who Michael Conley has been building up in our head, who's going to be the, the the vessel of having Harry's mom killed, actually loved her. Whew, that's some good shit right there. I mean, we went from a fucking homicide investigation, walking through the door that got flipped on his head, to a human drama investigation. Well, I guess most homicides are some type of human drama, but here. I was not expecting that. And kudos to Michael Conley. the snake. <laughs> and, you know, we see, and I'm looking at this through an investigator's eye Conklin's story is believable. Because Harry first questions Conklin, but you can see that he has what we call tangible information that could only have been gotten from Marjorie Lowe. That's one, that Harry, no, Harry's name, Hieronymus, and how special it was, and two, that he was in a youth hall. Who else would have told him that information but Marjorie Lowe? So then you started seeing, okay, maybe Conklin's story is true. Again, that's what we do. This story and how it unfolded is a basic criminal investigator's roadmap. And then Michael Connolly did something great here by. Well, he did something great through Conklin because he told Bosch that he knew one day Bosch would show up because Bosch, if no one else, Bosch would care because he was Marjorie's son. And let's talk about that most powerful line from the book I'm closer to hell than heaven for what I've done, for my silence. I need to tell my story. And I think you're a better confessor than any priest could be. Like, oh, shit. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't have the vocabulary to express just how powerful that is, but that's a very powerful statement. And another tangible antidote that we have concerning the veracity of Conklin and the truthfulness behind his story is he's not making himself out to be some type of martyr or some person who was naive. He actually says himself that he was a coward, that he didn't do the right things. And that right there as a criminal investigator, if I was interviewing him, that would lead me to believe his story or give more credence to his story because he's not being blameless here. He's not saying, hey, I'm blameless. I didn't understand that was going on. He's taking ownership for a lot of the shit he did and or didn't do. I'd like to take the opportunity to to remind you guys of something that I said in a prior episode of The Last Coyote when we were talking about Fox's alibi. And we see Conklin said that him and Mattel came up with some bullshit that Fox was a witness in a grand jury investigation. And as I told you back then, is I really wouldn't even talk to the attorneys. I would first talk to the criminal investigator who was handling the case. And we see here, he says it was a bullshit story. And this is an example of why you always go to the criminal investigator who's handling the case. And we further see that Conklin provides more veracity towards his story because Harry knows before he walked into the door that Conklin had got out of the political arena and started doing pro bono work And that gives more credibility to a story because, again, Conklin says that right here from the book. You went into private practice? Yes. I took a pro bono work as my self-imposed penance for what I was responsible for. And so those are statements or statements like that are examples that criminal investigators look for to test the veracity of a potential witness or a person who you're interviewing. And as Conklin is telling his story, that kind of reminds me of a famous poem by uh, Robert Burns, The Mouse, where in it he says, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And as a criminal investigator, we look for that space that often go awry of a man's plan. And what I mean by that from the book, Gordon, genius that he was, didn't plan on me not being able to get over Marjorie. And I'm still not. I mean, that little bit, that space, that's what I mean by the space of people making these grandiose plans, these elaborate deals or schemes. And as a criminal investigator, we look for the cracks in those schemes and then we try to exploit it. And we see here what's to be exploited that Gordon did not anticipate, as Conklin just stated. That he actually loved Marjorie Lowe and he still loves her. So, because he still loves her, he's able to tell that love story to Harry. And did you guys find it very sad, but enlightening of Conklin in the manner he told the love story of, of him and Marjorie Lowe to Bosch? I mean, I just thought it was so sad. And again, again, listening to all these emotions and that Michael Connelly is invoking when it, you know, you just feel. I felt as though I was a fly on the wall listening to this old dying man confessing himself to the person he loved, son. And again, like I said, it was enlightening and it was uh, sad at the same time. And because it was so sad and enlightening it's very believable. And then you, so as a criminal investigator, we, because we are now the criminal investigators, you are, you know, the Thin Blue Line podcast uh, investigator army. We believe Conklin. We believe his story. And so then we have to then turn our investigator eye on Mattel. And did you guys also pick up how in telling the story and describing Marjorie Lowe, Michael Connolly, in a sense, is describing Harry. I mean, the line from the book, I knew she had secrets. I suppose all people do, but hers ran deep. I mean, that's all so far in the last three books or down fourth book, getting at Harry's deep secrets and the effect on him and how he interacts with people. And as we wrap up, you know, we see Bosch leaving the nursing home. He was attacked and knocked out. And again, Michael Connolly just put such a humanizing face to Harry. Because, again, Harry is investigating his mother's murder. He's off kilter. He's not being aware of his circumstances and his surroundings. And Harry kind of lets his uh, guard down. Because, you know, he should, he is and Harry should know that, wait a minute, Pounds is dead. And Mattel is looking for the guy who he interacted with at his party. And that person is Bosch. Hell, just in a couple of chapters ago, Bosch recognized that he was, quote unquote, lucky because that w- could have been him being tortured to death opposed to Pounds. And he let his guard down. You know, you love it because Michael Connolly, in his writing here, shows us that Harry is just a human. And has human frailties. that gets us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for The Last Coyote chapters 38 through 41 is Arnold Conklin. And you know, I picked Arnold for the way he held a torch for Marjorie Lowe. Because now Harry sees not only did Marjorie Lowe count in Harry's life, but there was someone else out there who she counted for, and or someone cared about her. And also, just it feels to me that Conklin was holding on for Harry to show up. I mean, he said it himself. I knew you would come. And the frankness and the honesty in which he held himself accountable. You know, one of the lines I used to always tell my kids, to thyself be true. And God damn it, was Conklin truthful to himself and us concerning uh, Marjorie Lowe. But you know, it really wasn't fair what Michael Connelly did. I mean, from the first reading of the murder book and the chronological record, Michael planted that Conklin was some guy who we should hate. <laughs> But the dramatic turnaround, of course, what Michael Conley did, revealed that our assumption was wrong. So my "Everyone Counts" or "No One Counts" person for chapters thirty-eight through forty-one of *The Last Coyote* is Arnold Conklin. This concludes chapters 38 through 41's review of The Last Coyote. Hey guys, you know, I say it all the time, but especially during this trying times, thank you so much for hanging in there with me and continue to support me. You know, I think we all are trying to do something that will get us through this unprecedented time in the world. And again, for you guys to, to take the time to listen I really do appreciate it. And while you're listening and you're going to Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast, if you could continue to rate us five stars or better, I would appreciate it. And as always, comments, 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 please leave those comments because they are valuable and they give an insight to what you guys are thinking and wish for me to cover on the podcast. And I always say it, but we're growing. And you know that by now because I keep saying it each podcast. And it's because you are telling your friends and family. So if you can continue to do that and help us grow, I would really appreciate it. Also, don't forget to join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content. There you will find more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. So next up on the Thin Blue Line, we will continue our deep dive into The Last Coyote, chapters 42 through 45. I'm Philip Parker, and I'm 10-7 for the remainder.